I'd like this to be an open thing, so um, certainly if you have questions you want to ask them at the end or during while we're going. Um, basically, this uh, I'll just introduce myself. Uh, I went to college in the 1900s, so that's a long time ago. Um, graduated from Northwestern University in Chicago. Um, my experience in practice, I do have a background in athletic training, which I did prior uh to going to Northwestern. Back then it was a diploma uh, BS program, which is all I have. I don't have a master's or a DPT. Um, but I have been out uh, 40 years, so I have a little experience. Um, um, so my experience, I own an outpatient uh, private practice for about 25 years, sold that in 2004, and that's really when I started getting uh, involved with GHO. And I just happened to go on a trip with my uh, with a friend of mine. We, I took my daughter and daughter-in-law, and he took his daughter. He was a doctor up where I live, which is in northern Wisconsin. And uh, so that was my first experience in 2004. And when I was there and when I came back, I realized that PT really um, is not very well utilized in short-term missions trips, um, at that time at least. I think it is definitely growing, and one of the things I've been trying to work on is with GHO is trying to uh, help uh, PTs and OTs be prepared for their uh, trips when they sign up. So um, GHO uh, is one of many op opportunities, I think, as we're growing PT and OT and allied health in the uh, short-term mission experiences and long-term missions. Um, it just happens to be the one that I kind of got started with and I'm staying with. So. I do work with uh, the uh, as a specialty coordinator. So if you sign up for a, uh, a trip as a PT or a student, I get that list emailed to me once a week, and so then I'll usually give you a call and I'll send you some information, and then we try to coordinate with the team leader uh, what that tri trip is going to look like and uh, kind of where where you're headed and that kind of thing and what kind of things you can bring on the trip. So through my experience, uh, I've been to the Dominican Republic 14 times, and as we've done that, we've kind of uh, gradually gotten uh, better at uh, doing some things as far as uh, bringing supplies and equipment and being ready for the team uh, for the trip each year. We go on, I go on the July trip. GHO has 50 trips a year, and uh, four of them go to the Dominican, and uh, so we work in the in the uh, Santo Domingo area and usually in a neighborhood that the church uh, picks that we uh, work with. So on the 2004 trip, I took my daughter and then my daughter uh, went on the uh, 2005 and 2006 trips and then she stayed down there and taught at their Christian school for three years and married a Dominican. So uh, that's been kind of becomes more family type things. Um, we've gone back each year. My wife is a nurse and so she'll head up the triage and uh, uh, so we tend to usually have maybe uh, 45 on a trip. Uh, the GHO trips vary from, I think there's one that went to Indonesia with four people on it yesterday, uh, to 45 or 50 usually is the biggest. Sometimes we've gone as high as 70, but that's very unusual. Uh, Two-thirds of the trips go to uh, Latin America, and the other third go across kind of the world. Keith just got back from... Jordan, right? Yeah. So there's a whole variety of opportunities out there. We do not have a PT on every trip. Um, so for students to go, we really like to link up uh, the student experience with uh, a credential therapist. I have no financial involvement. I will not gain by anything that I'm talking about today. So 
So the problem I'm presenting is that we have a shortage of PT and OTs uh, that are going on short-term trips. We're growing that, getting better with it, but um, it's still uh, a huge need. And uh, there's just plenty of work to be done by um, people treating musculoskeletal and rehab-type patients. So um, the objectives would be to identify the needed equipment and supplies for a therapy trip, identify the obstacles that we can run into, um, identify a timetable for preparation, and then uh, also the ways that we can prepare PT supplies, equipment, actually getting them ready to go, um, identify the most effective approach for treating patients on a short-term trip, and then identify the dynamics of working in a short-term clinic. So you're going to be working with other types of medical providers, and you need to think a little bit about that as you're going. So we're presenting the ideas of options for securing and transporting therapy supplies. These are just ideas, uh, things that might help you get ready. This will be on the website, by the way, or already is, so uh, you don't have to take real detailed notes if you don't want to. Um, if you're in school, you probably don't want to take any notes. But uh, So expectations for working in a multidisciplinary clinic and how to effectively be uh, the best PT you can be as far as access to your services while you're on the trip. Uh, working conditions and, and patient types, and then identify uh, different types of trips and specific needs for each trip. So uh, when you're looking for something to go on, a, a trip to go on, you've got to ask some questions. You've got to look at uh, how do you fit with that philosophy and that group that you're going with. Um, you want to take a look at their doctrinal statement and uh, most of the organizations here are going to be great to work with. Um, a lot of them don't use Allied Health very much, and so you might be a trailblazer in their organization to kind of get started and help them understand that PT and OT is just a great thing to have on a short-term trip. Um, the, to me, the evangelistic aspect of the team is very important. There's a lot of people I've talked to as PTs, and they go on a team and they do VBS or they do building stuff. Not to say that that's a bad thing, but when you have the skills as a PT or OT, uh, really ought to be treating people in a clinic, in my opinion. So, um, But uh, does the, does the uh, organization that you're going with have a specific uh, way to share the, the gospel? Because I think that's the only real thing that lasts, other than things we have to offer would be, what, education and exercise. Those are long-term things. Even wheelchairs wear out after a while, canes break, those kind of things. So... You know, when you're starting to think yourself in long-term sustained uh, benefit for the people that you're treating, uh, those are kind of the things that come up. And then uh, the clinic model. So as you're, as you're researching this, you want to determine how am I going to be used as a therapist? Am, am I going to be one of the main providers or am I going to be sitting in an office or a room with a doctor and be more limited to being actually able to use my skills? Can patients come to me directly? Do they have to go through the doctor referral type of thing first. And a lot of that depends on the organization. It will depend also on the team leader, whoever's leading your team, what, they, what their comfort level is with just accessing uh, therapy directly. So, again, it, does the clinic model allow me to practice my specialty with as many people as possible when I'm there? That's one of the things you want to find out. Is there a strong plan of sharing the gospel? And then is there a strong partnership for follow-up? So one of the keys that I like about GHO is that we work very closely with the local partners uh, for medical and spiritual follow-up. And a lot of times, even though we're working with a church in one part of Santo Domingo, which is a huge city, 
we're doing ministry in a different area. So we're working with those local pastors to do follow-up for spiritual decisions. And the doctors within the church know the doctors in that area. And so for medical things. You probably, if you've done some research, realize that uh, many um, short-term medical trips actually cause harm, uh, a high percentage actually in some cases. And that's just because the follow-up isn't there. You, you know, the dental department takes a tooth out, you leave, and, you know, you're not back for another year, but that person gets an infection, and then, then what do you do type of thing. So um, I think we really have to be more and more careful that we're working in models where we have great follow-up and continued sustained contact with people who might need it. So that's the local uh, church partnership and ministry for spiritual and medical follow-up. So the question of the role of the therapist, uh, will you be part of the team of leaders taking responsibility for the musculoskeletal and neurological disorders? That's really the best place for the PT or OT to be is the main player because you're going to know more than the medical people that are on the trip. Even if you're a year out of school or a new graduate or in some cases, uh, you know, a third-year student, you're going to know more about that than a lot of the people that are on the team already. So you, I think you, your skills need to be used um, as much as possible, and that's what I would usually push for. Um, so if, if you choose to, as a, as a head therapist or the only therapist on a team, I'm going to show you some things that you can do to get organized ahead of time and really get some things together, like wheelchairs, crutches, walkers, canes, PT supplies. Um, and that will depend on uh, if there are other therapists on the team, if you can kind of work it together, or if you've got the experience and you've got a new therapist coming along with you, you may have uh, the opportunity then to, um, to mentor and encourage. And I think there's a great uh, opportunity for the older therapist to mentor younger therapists in this uh, in, the, in these situations, as well as others as well within the profession. So um, so you need to find, again, now, now you've signed up for the trip. So the last couple of slides are, I'm going on this trip. What do I need to do, figure out? What do I need to get ready? So working with a team leader. Uh, so in the GHO model, there's a team leader, there's a medical director, and then there's usually a head of each department. So the team leader will um, tell you how that person would like to utilize you. And sometimes if they've never had a therapist, they say, well, what do you think? You know, and so you just give them the, the idea that, you know, here's where I can be used, here's my specialty, this is what I'm comfortable with, all of those kind of things. Uh, you have to take into account the country, the culture, and the location of the clinic. And so you want, it's good to know that ahead of time. Sometimes teams don't know that. Uh, much ahead of time, you know, they're working with the in-country partner and they haven't quite figured out where they're going. You, we usually find out a couple months beforehand, we're going to go to this neighborhood and these are the needs. And, and uh, so we usually set up in a school and that's in the July Dominican trip is usually in a neighborhood that they picked that's been underserved by the medical community. And then so you're in communication with the team leader, the medical director on how, how the therapists uh, will function Within with, either without referral as a main player. So in our in our situation, the Dominican, my wife actually heads up the triage department. So people come in, they get registered, and then they go to triage and they do their vitals and they see why they're there. They're interviewing the families, the patients, and once they hear that there's somebody treating back and neck pain, they usually that's by Wednesday in the week. That's what they're asking for specifically. So they just kind of move the patients directly to us, or if there's special wheelchair needs, you know, they're gonna. My wife will walk down and say, hey, we have this uh, person that needs this chair and that kind of thing. 
kind of thing. <clears throat> so in the pre-trip, uh, now let's say you've signed up and you're three to four months out and you want to be really organized and, and, and or you're going with somebody who's done this before and you want to help them along the way. So these are some of the things to think about. So you're going to work with team members that are not already taking medicine, dental equipment, or other supplies. So what I do is uh, usually, we again, we have 45 people. Probably half of those are providers. Half of them are family members or students. Take a lot of students on our, our trips that are, um, or we'll have a uh, you know physician with some teenage kids along and that type of thing. So first thing we have to do is we have to make sure we, we have enough people to carry medicines, and that's usually about five people on the team. And they carry suitcases of medic medications to get down to the pharmacy. And then after that, uh, the dental team from California, they, we just happen to have a dental team that comes in from Fresno who have been going with us for 14 years. And so they will be organized. They'll have their kits. So they have some of their stuff down there already. Um, and so then there's going to be another uh, number of people who don't, have a second bag. So we do this second bag list. So everybody has their own suitcase that they check in. And then a second bag can be a wrapped up wheelchair. It can be a golf bag full of crutches. It can be a suitcase full of PT supplies. It can be a whole variety of things. We're getting a little pushback now because they're only allowing one suitcase. In the Dominican last year, as we went down, they, were, they were just had changed their policies, so they only allowed one, one suitcase. But we did get the wheelchairs and other stuff on. Um, on the plane, so they were allowing some of that, but we had to get a special, special dispensation to have it allowed to get on, it seemed like. So anyway, so checking ahead of time to make sure you're not bringing all this stuff to the airport, and now they're not going let it, to let it even get on the plane, working ahead there. Um, so, these are the, so these are the things to think about as we're trying to think about uh, what are we going to bring along? What's down there already? So working with the in-country in partners, valuable through the team leader to find out do they have some of these supplies already. Um, we have found the airline people in general to be very good. American Airlines has allowed wheelchairs on without charging. But, again, those things are kind of changing because uh, the DR – in our specific case, is not letting as much stuff come into the country. And then they're also doing lists 60 or 90 days out. So you have to have a detailed list of all the things that you're bringing in uh, because the countries want to make sure you're not bringing them to sell them or, you know, put them on the black market or whatever. So, so it's getting to be more work, uh, and you have to work better ahead of time. Uh, so the therapists that come on the list like a month ahead of time, I'll talk to them a lot about this stuff, but it's too late really to prepare and bring supplies because the list has been submitted already. And most countries won't let us um, submit a dummy list like, okay, so you know, we're going to have five hand braces. We're going to have this, 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 and this. And uh, we don't know if we're going to have those, but it gets hopefully gets us in the country. They don't really want that. They want exactly. And then now they're going to start to ask for model numbers and all that kind of stuff. I sent a... Um, suitcase out this week, and it had to have all model numbers of even hand braces and knee braces listed. It's kind of really getting kind of ridiculous, but, you know, if you don't do that, then the theory is is that they could come in and look at your list while you're doing the clinic and shut down the clinic if you don't have those things identified. So we kind of got to jump through the hoops. <coughs> Um, so, again, you're working with a team leader and the host group to know what the logistics are. So let's say you think you can get 
a team of 45 to bring 25 wheelchairs, which we've done in the last few years, to the DR. And we know that they can transport those from the airport to the church to the clinic without a problem. They have a bus and they have uh, uh, pickup trucks and that kind of thing. But if you're going to a remote location, it's a whole different story. So if you're going up in the mountains of Nicaragua or you're going to Nepal or, and you've got three flights just to get to the host group who's then going to take you by bus for a day and a half, it's, it's a whole different story. So a lot of that you've got to figure out ahead of time because uh, taking too much will not work, and uh, so then you're more limited. And then what kind of patients are you going to be treating? We treat generally just outpatient orthopedic-type cases, although we get peds and we get uh, geriatrics and a variety of other things as a part of the multi-specialty clinic. But maybe you're just going to a specific hospital or maybe you're working in, uh, in a trip of human trafficking and, you know, that will have special needs that you won't have on a different trip. So knowing that ahead of time is really big. Uh, so uh, getting wheelchairs, um, you know, uh, I've been doing this long enough that people in my church know if they see a wheelchair at a garage sale, they'll try to talk that person into donating it, that it's going to go overseas. Uh, um, I have some uh, reps uh, who, they were, you know, their, their brace models run out, and they don't know what to do with the old braces, and they'll dump them at my clinic. Um, nursing homes usually and hospitals, they don't know what to do when somebody dies with a walker you know, the family doesn't want it. So you can keep those doors open and usually uh, have access. Sometimes you can get enough from one place to keep you, keep you busy. Uh, we'll talk about wrapping those and getting them ready. Um, so they're checked as a second bag. So we'll walk up to the thing with our backpack on and then our suitcase with all of our stuff in it. And then the next bag is a, is a rolling wheelchair with bubble wrap on it. And it's just... Uh, ready to go on. And again, until maybe last year or so, that's been a pretty easy thing. We'll have to see what the future brings for that as far as ability to actually get those things on the plane anymore. Um, we, uh, we flew out of a small airport in central Wisconsin, um, and our team leader happened to have the gate agent as a patient, so she was very sympathetic toward our case and loved helping us get checked in. Other times we've gone to... Uh, uh, the same team leader went to Chicago and flew out of Chicago and had to take eyeglasses out of a suitcase and put them in a, a different type of storage thing. Or He had them in storage things. He had to put them in suitcases. So he had to buy suitcases in the airport. You know, So you, there's all kinds of different uh, scenarios that kind of happen there. Um, just make sure with the wheelchairs when you get them that they're in good working order. I, you know, I hate to turn anything down, but you, once you get to the country, there's no really no way to fix those things. So uh, sometimes you get broken on the way down and you find, you know, a maintenance guy who can, can jerry-rig it sometimes. But in general, you know, you should just accept stuff that you would use yourself, you know, um, and th that's working. So this is just an example of wrapping a wheelchair. Um, we actually have a couple of Vimeo videos online if you're interested that we – filmed in about 45 minutes in my basement one time. Our team leader came over, and so there's a GHO Vimeo website, I guess. I don't really go there much. but So what I've done here is this is a collapsible wheelchair, and these are the leg rests. I just roll them and put them in the, in the uh, um, seat, fold the chair up, tape that all together. So I use a ton of bubble wrap and a ton of uh, clear packaging tape, basically. So that means you've got to take um, 
uh, razor blade knives with you because that's the only way to get them off once you get down there. So, And you can just buy this at Walmart or wherever you shop. And so we just uh, start to wrap everything up. We do figure eights kind of around the seat and everything, and pretty soon it looks something like that. I might even include more wrap along the frame on the bottom. The wheels have to roll because you don't really want to carry this through the airport to get it to check out. They appreciate the fact that it will roll as well. So um, that's just kind of the process. And most of them make it. Uh, there's very, very few times that we have anything that breaks on the way. Uh, again, this will be online, is online. This is just a written explanation. This is also part of the – so if you go on a, tea, a, a trip or if you want to send me your email – I'll send you a copy of the GHO uh, PT handbook, which has a lot of the information in it for preparing for trips. <coughs> Walkers, again, the same accessibility. Um, I end up with people bringing them to church, and I just pick them up, and I, it's kind of what I know. People uh, tend to do that in garage sales up by where we live. Um, so in this one, you can. I've gotten five together. So you take five walkers, you fold them up, Put them together upside down so the top, eventual top, will be uh, even. Uh, and then start the process of taping them together. Put the four corner wheels out so that you eventually have uh, something to roll on. And then tie them together with a rope so that you can have a handle to move them and then eventually end up with that. And so um, they look a little surprised when you roll up to the gate agent with that as your second bag, but. Functional, it works, and they tend to be pretty sympathetic about it. Again, a written explanation. So crutches, canes, and other items. Uh, the, the canvas golf bags work really well for the smaller adult crutches, canes, um, other types of long things that you might put in, in a bag. So you can get those for 40 bucks at a Dick's or Sporting Goods place. Um, I just reuse it. I bring it back each year. And, they eventually wear out, but uh, that works well. It doesn't work well for the long adult crutches, so what we tend to do with that is when we get six or seven pairs of those, six usually, we'll just tape those up, roll them up, and cover them with bu bubble wrap, put a rope in them, and they can be checked on too. Um, that's the way we get those down there. Um, uh, durable medical goods usually can just go in a suitcase, so you just take an extra suitcase full of braces, cam walkers, you know, whatever you might use in the clinic, that type of thing. And then uh, as my practice, as I sold my practice, uh, we took some of the old sheets and towels and pillowcases, so you, know, you take the bubble wrap off and put them in a pillowcase and hold that together, and now you've got a pillow for your clinic and, you know, some of the things that we've taken. And then the, the church uh, washes them when we're done with them for the week, and then uh, we have them for the next year so. Because we keep going back the same place, we've really developed a pretty good stash of stuff down there that we can uh, we can use with each clinic. So other things to think about that you can actually put in your own suitcase would be some instructional sheets. If you're working on a Spanish culture, then you can usually get those off BHI or some of the other uh, uh, exercise web websites. I, I'm a McKenzie certified therapist, so I take the McKenzie uh, Spanish treat your own neck and back books along with me. Um, so you have TheraBand, you know, just just kind of thinking about what you generally use in the clinic that's pretty portable um, that you could throw in your suitcase. Uh, some of these things are going to need to be on those lists. So, again, coordinating this ahead of time is really going to be more important as we go. <coughs> uh, but a lot of these can be supplied. I don't, I don't think you really need to 
I'm telling patients or people on the trips, you don't really need to go buy a wheelchair or a walker. There's so many things available. You just have to do some research and work. Uh, overhead pulleys, I just make those out of rope and, you know, a pulley uh, from the hardware store and over the door, and that works out really well in some of the home visits. So our team, uh, did you do home visits in Jordan? Or? We, we did not. Okay. Did not so we set up in a neighborhood, but there's always, working with the local pastors, there's always a, uh, uh, some patients who can't make it in, they're just too sick to come in, and so uh, they'll be part of a home team that'll go out with a doctor and usually a therapist and some, some of the supplies and a nurse and a translator and a pastor. And then uh, that can be really kind of an eye-opening and a blessing for people who, who experience that as well as the people that you uh, will visit and the care usually is excellent by the family members. Uh, it's a different culture. I know not everybody in the family is working and so sometimes a daughter or a son stays home to take care of a parent and uh, uh, they do a great job with it with what they have and clean and you know but you show you can show transfer techniques. Another thing uh, down the list here is gate belts. So I, I go to the local Walmart and I buy the American Tourister uh, luggage belts, almost exactly like the, traction, the manual therapy belts that I have in my clinic. They cl- clasp really easy. You get two for under six bucks or maybe under seven bucks, five, you know, somewhere in that price. And I just stock those up like we shop at Walmart every so often. I just throw those in the, in the cart. By the time I go, you know, on our trip, we have 20 of them. And they're great for transfer belts in the home. You can leave them with a the patient. They're great for... Uh, a whole variety of things that you can do, sometimes holding patients in wheelchairs if they can't sit well and that kind of thing. And then other things would be duct tape or uh, electrician's tape, small toolkit, razor blade knives for getting your bubble wrap off and other things that might come to your mind. Things to think about for um, personally, and usually the team will send these lists out, but it's just um, hand disinfectant, uh, for use between patients. I usually have a, f- a small fan on the floor if you have electricity in the clinic, which most of the time we do, or they have a generator so we can have some power. Um, so we work in a school, and each you know therapist, usually the therapists take up the bigger room, and we're all together so we can kind of trade off and, and uh, compare notes a little bit. Um, some of the doctors, you might have two doctors in a school room. We use the school We've gone long enough now that we have some massage tables down there, and so we actually have some treatment tables to work off of, so that's pretty nice. You won't have that luxury in every trip. Um, and as you travel from clinic to clinic, you, sometimes you're working off the floor, you're working off uh, you know, a regular table type of thing, so you just make the best of it. Crystal light, something to – so we have cold water brought to us, and so I just put that in there for energy or whatever, or just for taste. Sometimes just straight water is not as – but as you'd like. Uh, frog togs, anybody know what that is? It's a chamois kind of thing that you get wet and cold and you put it around your neck. And most pictures of me in the clinic will have a frog tog around my neck because I, I don't do well in the heat. And uh, so um, try to keep cool. So then I'll walk over to where they have the, the water and soda in the ice coolers and I'll just dunk that in the ice and then put it back on and come back out. Um, <clears throat> So we tend to work in scrubs and closed-toed shoes. You're pretty gross by the time you're done working for a day, and so you don't really want to put those clothes back on. So we just have five sets of scrubs. And, and then snacks and energy bars, you know, by about – we get 
so the, the normal schedule for our clinic, which is not like every clinic that GHO takes, but we get up, we have breakfast, we meet for devotions at 7.30 and some worship. We get on the bus by 8.15 and we're off to the clinic by about 9. And then by about 9.05, I'm ready for an energy bar and uh, some water and stuff, you know. So we get started, we have prayer, and then the team starts working. And usually the first day it's transitioning into the registration process, getting the patients in, and by the second or third day they're waiting on your doorstep pretty much by then because they've been registered the day before but didn't get all the way through the clinic to see you. So anyway, my wife in the triage used to ask how long patients were waiting to get in, and when she heard that one lady had waited from the day before, she had been there the morning before and just gotten in that next day, she stopped asking after that. So, so it's quite a process, and we have a lot of people uh, waiting. So uh, if you're the only or on-site lead therapist, uh, so managing as a therapist in the clinic, you're going to be working with the local pastors and doctors for post-trip management of the equipment. So you've got wheelchairs. You've just, you, know, you have to kind of be the wheelchair Nazi because you're going to have people by Monday noon, you're going to be gone, the wheelchairs are going to be gone if you're not careful about who you're giving them out to. So you just have to... Um, you just have to be judicious about that, and then we have to know where they're going. And the local pastors are really helpful for that because then if that wheelchair patient passes away, they can move that wheelchair onto somebody else who needs it within the community as opposed to the family selling it on the black market or something like that. So so it's important to work with those local people. Um, prioritizing the issuing of items, that's the wheelchair part. And, you know, usually crutches, walkers, we might run out by the end of the week, but we, it's usually not such a demand. But the wheelchairs are really kind of huge, uh, so you have to be very careful. And there's many times, uh, you know, you just don't have what you need. You don't have enough for the need that's there, so you do your best. Um, and then uh, you're responsible for mentoring students and new therapists. And so if you have experience with this or you have experience as a therapist, you're leading a team, you have other therapists, then... Um, you know, part of that is even though you may be getting your feet wet the first time, it's important to uh, it's important to uh, mentor as much as you can. Uh, so communicating with the clinic providers, uh, you know, here's what we have left in the clinic. You know, by Wednesday we're down to 10 th chairs or whatever it might be. You know, so you're communicating with the team leaders and that kind of thing uh, and how it works best and solving problems and then. Um, we try to do some outreach if possible, whether it be the home visits or um, working with the uh, doctors who are residents. So in our situation, there's some doctors that go to the church, and so they work in the clinic with us, and dentists as well. And by now, after 14 years, we actually have some students who are working in the dental clinic who are now dentists uh, from the Dominican uh, training. So, you know, just making sure that that all works together and, and as smoothly as possible. So I just have a couple examples. Here's an on-site clinic that we did uh, in Puerto Plata, which is unusual for us because we went to the north side. Uh, Puerto Plata is on the north side of the country. Santo Domingo is as far south as you can get. Uh, so this time we did, we took a four-hour bus ride, and then we stayed at a place up there. And this is actually a church. So um, the main building across there is actually their sanctuary. That's where the dental clinic was. And we had, uh, we had the therapy uh, clinic on the lower level. And then uh, we usually have one or two medical providers on the lower level for those who have trouble getting up the stairs. But then 
the upper level can be um, other um, medical providers for those who are ambulatory enough to get up there. So these are the wheelchairs that we brought. This is one of our PTAs that was there helping organize. Um, and so, you know, the, there's, you know, those are all done, given out within four or five days, basically, depending upon the needs. And then it's great having students along because they can unwrap all this stuff and, and pile it up and get it ready. And so they're, you know, whether they're PT students or just, you know, family members of providers who are coming along, that's a great, great experience for them to be part of it. And so a lot of help. We have a lot of logistical. Again, um, we have 45 people on the team. We might have 24 or 25 providers. That would be pharmacy, PT, nursing, um, medical and dental. Uh, dental assistants, those kind of people. Um, and so the rest of them are all logistics. They help with the children's ministry, with crowd control, and they're just learning the experience of what it's like to be there with a team, and so they're very helpful. So that's our, our organized mess. Um, so we have suitcases and, and full of things. You can see that we've brought things along. There's, there's an older treatment table on the left side. That's one of the ones that was already down there, but and one, a couple of years we had a chance to be working with the military. Uh, so we actually provided medical services for their military uh, for two out of the five days that we were that. Uh, this is actually myself and a fellow graduate of mine from Northwestern. So it was kind of fun to be able to minister together. You see odd uh, cases along the way. This is a guy that we gave a wheelchair to at an elevating leg rest. He had been in a, a very common down there as a motorcycle accident, you know, so they're on their scooters and they get hit by a bus or something like that. If they survive, a lot of times they have a non-union femur fracture that never got taken care of because they didn't have the money to pay for it to go into the hospital to have it cared for. In this case, the guy had did have some pins put into his uh, tibia, and uh, th this uh, he had just been back to the doctor on a five-month recheck and they weren't ready to take him out yet, can you imagine? And so he lost his right arm, so he's got a prosthesis on that side, but his left arm was still, or his left leg was still, and he was not comfortable, and it's kind of like, really? I mean, but that's the care they have, and so, you know, you just do the best you can. He came actually walking in using the prosthesis on one side, the crutch on the other side. You can probably see the uh, the axillary pad is all taped up, so you replace all of that stuff, and then we give him a chair with an elevating uh, leg rest so that he's got a way to get around. Again, those are the pillows with the bubble wrap inside. So you just kind of, as you, and this is one of the treatment, couple of the treatment tables that we brought down. You kind of learn every year how to make it a little bit better and do things a little more smoothly and... Uh, Hopefully you think you'd figure it out after 14 years, but then after you've forgotten something this year or, or you don't have something that you did have or whatever. But this is a very typical-looking clinic. So we have a table and two and chairs. We interview the patient. We have a translator who's right with us for every patient, uh, and those are usually later high school or young college students uh, from the Christian school um, where my daughter taught, actually. So... Uh, so, again, the wheelchair stories are awesome. Um, very commonly, almost every year, my wife will come down and say, we've got one of those patients. And then I know that she means that this mother has just carried this 17-year-old CP child in who has never walked, never held their head up. That's not this one necessarily, but um, 
and has had no way to get that child around for 17 years other than to carry that child. So this year we had a pretty cool story of a reclining wheelchair that actually accommodated the patient. And, of course, um, doing my McKenzie stuff with the patient, treating back and neck pain, which is huge in my mind. So here's a team, a terapia physica. Um, so we have two, three therapists. Actually, the guy on the far left is a PM&R DO from, uh, uh, went through the Michigan State program. He has a private practice, sports medicine practice. He's been coming, doing uh, ultrasound-guided injections. So that's been pretty cool to have him on the team. So three PTs and a bunch of helpers, uh, one PT assistant there and translators, and makes up a pretty fun team. So this is kind of what we look like uh, driving up in the bus uh, in the morning. This is very common, people waiting in line, uh, been waiting in line maybe since 4 in the morning for a 9 o'clock start. <clears throat> Some of them are already in the clinic because they've, the um, people from the church uh, have as many as 150 volunteers for the week. They bring them in, they register them, get them started, and then uh, get them lined up so that we're ready to go when we get there. Uh, so, uh, probably, so the typical day, uh, again, was in the, I, I talked about the morning, the clinic. Uh, we get back to the uh, hotel by about uh, 5 o'clock, have dinner, usually have an evening meeting, um, God sightings or other things, maybe some CME for those who are interested, and then uh, off to bed and to the next day. So we fly down on Saturday. Sunday is church, meeting with the team, getting uh, the pills ready, that kind of thing, um, and then uh, five days of clinic, and then Saturday is usually an R&R &R day out at the beach. Michael just walked in. Michael is our uh, pharmacy head who's been with us. You've been to the DR, what, 20 times maybe? or? 25, yeah. So he goes on a lot of the other. There's four teams to the DR every year, and he's been on ours every year. So, um, so we, you know, it's appropriate to then on Saturday we have our fun day, go to the beach and have a nice meal, and then Sunday Sunday we fly home. So uh, we usually have a um, debriefing on Saturday night. We talk about the week. So there's three things in my mind. There's three things going on. One is um, the relationships within the clinic team, uh, the relationship between the team and the church, and then the relationship between the team and church and the people. And all of those have different dynamics. So there's some people that come on the team who really need this in their life to change things. And there's a relationship that we build and continue to strengthen every year with the, the church, the friendships, the, the arrangements of uh, relationships between the uh, church people and the team. And seeing continuous uh, steady leaders coming back, very consistent, but then always a new, several new families with uh, children along or whatever it might be um, that really make up the team. And, you know, like many teams, uh, God just brings in a very uh, uh, great ability to leave your egos at home and to work as a team, and there's very seldom any conflict among the team members. And, you know, that's after the first uh, first worship service at the, at the church, basically. So, so our, our goal, again, is uh, to treat patients, educate, and then educate families. I think those are the biggest things. Again, we can bring all kinds of stuff along, but the thing that lasts the longest would be education and exercise. Those are the things that you can continue to do. 
So the types of patients that you're going to see, again, that'll, that'll vary, uh, depends on the clinic. Uh, almost always we'll see that CP patient who needs a wheelchair. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, parents bring in their children just to be looked at. Sometimes they're even being seen in PT, and they just want to know that an American therapist has given an opinion that they're, they're being treated well. And so there's, you know, what they're getting for their child is the best they can get, and that's really a positive thing. Um, Wound care was interesting. Uh, this year we had a lady who signed up. Uh, she's an internal medicine wound care specialist. She was born in 1931, and when I looked at the registration, I said, there's got to be, this going to be a misprint. I called Eric, our team leader. She's 85 years old. Is that possible? And or 86. So I called her, and she said, yeah, I'm 86. I'm an internal medicine specialist from Texas, and I've been to Haiti and all over, and I want to see what the GHO model looks like. So she came along, and she, you know, we don't have a lot of wound care patients unless you have a wound care specialist. And then so she had a full week of wound care, and uh, she was an amazing lady. I couldn't get her to sit down, and she was leading all the, all the teams out into the um, home visits and uh, was being dehydrated and just kept going and going and going. So really an amazing lady. But... Um, so we see some of that, too. Um, there's always an unusual case and uh, stuff you'll never see in the, in the, uh, in the U.S. in your practice. Uh, one, one clinic we had, I had actually had one of my partners down with us, and she, that was her first trip. And um, there was a guy who had gotten in a fight with his girlfriend, and she threw Drano on his face. So came in with all these caustic burns, and so we were able to get him off to a plastic surgeon because of our connections with the local pastors and doctors. But, you know, those are just just weird stuff you don't usually see in the U.S. But uh, And then if you like, again, this I'm showing you the ultimate therapist kind of thing and what your responsibility could be, and what you actually do is probably a portion of that. But if we look at the post-trip possibilities and responsibilities, it would be giving feedback. What did we learn on this trip? What can we make better next time? Uh, working with some of the younger therapists and, and students, how can we uh, encourage them along their way? Um, um, communicate with the organization to uh, make things better uh, with each opportunity that we have. Um, there's a devotional that uh, GHO uses for post-trip. So potential barriers, uh, one of them is that the team leader and the doctors don't really understand what you have to offer. If they haven't worked with a therapist in the past, they may not, you know, may not realize that you have a specialty in treating spine or whatever you do. So really it's important to work on that ahead of time and just say, okay, here's where I'm comfortable. Um, you know, if there's certain areas you don't really feel comfortable in, then you should need to let them know that. Or I still say you're, I mean, you're going to be even as a uh, third-year student, as a new graduate, as an experienced therapist, you're going to know more about PT, OT stuff than anybody else on the team, right? So if you get a general family practice doctor, you, they don't really know how to, you know, set up an exercise program, those kind of things. You're just relieving them by taking those patients away and giving them the right things to do. So good communication with that and how the team leader wants to use your skills is really important. My tendency would be always to be that you'd be – have direct access from the triage that they wouldn't have to see the doctors first. And then you should have enough understanding so that if you see a red flag that you need to send them back to be evaluated. So one of, that's one of the barriers. Uh, lack of resources. Um, if 
we don't have the equipment, the supplies, um, then you've got a your your outcomes will probably be not as good, but still do the best you can. God can do anything through the process, really. Um, and lack of confidence and experience from the therapist. Again, you may feel so far out of your comfort zone that you you don't even know why you're there. Um, but what you've learned in school and what you've picked up in the clinic uh, are still very valuable. Um, and then just not, uh, not having a willingness to be able to secure the equipment and supplies that you need. But sometimes you don't need a lot of equipment and supplies. You can just educate and teach and ex give exercise. Uh, barriers also include the location type of the clinic. So your clinics can be very different if you're in the Dominican with all this help from the church and all these supplies than if you are up in, uh, you know, in the, in the mountains in Nepal or some other place where it's very remote and all you've got is maybe a few exercise pictures to hand out and education through the translator and exercise programs. And another thing is doing good research on what the kind of cl clinic you're going to have, the types of patients that you're going to have. So in conclusion, there's a need, uh, significant need for therapists on short-term trips um, and long-term as well. Um, uh, the, we can secure a lot of things without having to pay for them just by getting donations and being kind of in a network that way. Um, the therapists serve a very important part of a team, and um, it's important for you as you work with patients and as you talk to the doctors that you're working with that they begin to understand what value you have. And then the earlier we start in planning this, the better. So the sooner you get on a team committed toward it, you can start working on getting some of this stuff started. Let me just give you a quick uh, story. Uh, we were in the, that same clinic with the uh, Drano and the face guy, and uh, it was Thursday, and I was treating the guy with a hat there for lower back pain. He said he was 97 or something like that, and that he had had 27 kids with the same woman. She had passed away. I guess we could figure that out. But uh, he told me a story about uh, his son who had fallen out of a fruit tree 20 years before. So his son was now 60, the guy in the chair there. And uh, so he had been caring for him. He had been the only provider of care for this son for 20 years. And he wondered if I had a wheelchair because he couldn't. You know, he was, uh, basically described that he was a low-level uh, quad <clears throat> and so uh, Thursday at that time, we'd only, I think they were when I took ch 10 chairs down, so they were all gone by then. So I felt terrible, but, you know, I prayed with them, and I just said, you know, uh, uh, we don't have any chairs, I apologize. And then I didn't take down his name. I didn't even think to take his name, his address. So what happened was uh, we went on a home visit the last Friday afternoon. We had a little extra time, and so the last house we went into was theirs. So we were able to find out where he lived, and then that was the year my daughter was going down to teach, so they took a chair down so they he would have an, a wheelchair accessibility. So it was in a remote area of Santo Domingo, but my wife took our daughter down, helped her move down there, and they were able to take, take a couple chairs along. So he had an opportunity then to have that available. Um, so, the, you know, the wheelchairs, the assistive devices are really big for a lot of families. Uh, this is just a, this shows the, de as we're coming into the airport, what it looks like to bring all this stuff in, rolling walkers and all kinds of stuff bubble wrapped up, and I'm sure people think we're crazy, but uh, um, these are just some of the, other, this was a girl that came in, had a fever, 
Um, then eventually saw her pediatrician. They realized that she had a urinary tract infection, but she was so she was treated with the antibiotics. The next day she came in. She was a much different girl. And here's one of our PT students who uh, has now graduated from PT school, the one in the middle, uh, who's with a young girl that we supplied a wheelchair to, and we're using one of those gate belts to hold her in. Uh, the girl on the left is a translator, and uh, the gentleman on the right is the grandfather. And you hear a lot of family stories like that where grandparents are bringing kids in. Um, this, I, I thought, was uh, Duck Dynasty's story in the DR, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, here's a gentleman that I treated. Thank you. All right. There's got to be at least one question out there. Yes. Do you have any local PTs in the DR that come to work with you guys? No, they don't. Uh, they, don't they, have, they have PTs in the hospitals. I'm not sure they have a school there even, um, but we have not run into any of the local, any local therapists that work with our teams. We do have dentists and doctors but, and uh, dental assistants, those kind of, um, that kind of thing. So, no, we haven't. That's a good question. I don't, I, I just, I don't think it's accessible. I mean, the doctors have said I could come, anybody could, PT could come down and set up a practice and be full immediately, uh, just people off the street. So. Um, they do have some access. I think it's, you know, typical uh, developing world hospital type of therapy. Yes? So, you know, I mean, rehab therapy is kind of an inherently long-term process. And I know from <coughs> Bolivia briefly that, like, a lot of these people, especially if they're sort of manual laborers, they don't necessarily have the freedom that people do in the States to either with workers' comp, like, modify what they're doing or take time off and things like that. How do you how do you sort of manage that tension? It's like you're only there for a short time. Do right. you find that it's effective with education if there is long term change, or do they come back? <coughs> If my wife was here, she would tell you about the spiritual changes being the most important part. So we were in one area, not to avoid your question, I'll get to it in a minute, but uh, we were in an area where they were, we were actually seeing quite a few young men who had been shot in the leg because they were out at night and the police would do that to keep them off the streets. So they had a permanent contracture in their leg and on crutches the rest of their life because... That's the way they were controlling the crime in the area. We had we had to have guards at the door. They had to have guards there all night to protect the clinic. Uh, so that is by far the biggest thing. And then we've actually asked those people in that area what happened years later and that they've seen a significant change because of the spiritual changes in the people. Uh, so that's... That's one of the big things. Uh, as far as carryover, we don't, we don't have any studies because we don't go to the same place each year. So, again, my point about, about education and exercise, so that worker in the sugarcane field, you know, if you understand part of the McKenzie concept, you understand you get that guy in extension exercise because he's flexed all day long. Um, and that's, you know, there is tension there trying to understand, have I benefited by showing them these exercises? Have they benefited? Um, and so the, the thing, you know, you just you have to pray that God will use the information that you're giving them to affect their daily life. And there are things we can do to do that. Um, but, again, um, the carryover, just like in the United States, you've got to do the program uh, to get better. And so you have to stress that with the education, the posture, the proper lifting techniques, 
any exercises in long term. So, good question because you know there is this tension about short-term missions. Are we doing more damage by going down? You know, I don't in PT. I don't think that's the case. But you know, do we medicate the diabetics? Do we medicate the hypertensive patients? For 30 days of medicine, does that do anything for them, or is it really counterproductive? They seem to be living okay, you know. So there's those big ethical questions that are really important to answer that probably are case specific in most cases. So, yes. Are you seeing different patients every day, or if you feel like someone could benefit coming back the next day? Rarely, I will get them to come back. The problem is they have to wait in line, so you have to sign a paper. They take the paper that says, you know, let them through immediately. Otherwise, it's an hour or two-hour wait just to get in. So, yes, we do. Once in a while, if I see somebody that I've started on a program that I know I can advance if they're if they make progress over the next few days, I will see them like a Monday to a Friday. I'll see them twice. But most cases, because there's such a need, you're only supposed to get one or two things when you're in the clinic. So we get these people who kind of wander around. They go to the eyeglasses. Then they come to therapy. Then they go to the dentistry. You know, they're really supposed to get back in line because we've got all these other patients that are waiting a day to get into the clinic. You know, And is it fair for you to occupy all that time while there are needs of people to come in? So... You have to make those ethical decisions. And usually by the end of the week, we've seen, we've seen most of the neighborhood people. But this year, we, you know, we were in an area of 200,000 people, and we saw 2,400 in one week in the clinic. So 2,400 is a lot of patients you know, in five days. But that's 1%. Huh? 1%. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's a great, great question. So if your model is um, one visit or two visits, my, pre- my prejudice with treating back and neck pain, which is by far the biggest complaint, people coming into a clinic um, other than GI stuff. But uh, So the McKenzie approach, is manual therapy valuable? Because if I only see them once or twice, am I going to get them better with manual therapy? Definitely the education and exercise are critical, and my prejudice is using the McKenzie approach. So if you're a young therapist trying to figure things out, I would definitely encourage you to take Part A, McKenzie Part A, and start to understand what the process of treating mechanical pain is, which was my last workshop earlier this morning, and really start to understand what's the best use of that. I, I don't know where I'd be without that approach, even in my practice in the U.S. I just... It's the basis of everything I do. So if you're, if you're searching for that uh, approach, if you're really thinking long-term, you're really thinking, uh, you know, working with people that you're going to see a short time and benefiting their lives, I would definitely get started in the McKenzie uh, courses. Good question, though. Yeah. So um, you need to be a generalist, but if you look at your caseload, it's probably going to be a majority of spine, you know, uh, quite commonly, because most of these cultures are so physical, and people don't understand the proper mechanics, and you know they get started on the program, and that's that's beneficial. So, was there one more over here? Yes. Um, I just had a question based off of what you said. Um, besides, like individuals or churches, are there any other therapy-specific resources that you use in terms of donating items? 
There are a lot available. I don't have to use those because we usually can get locally, but there are some resources of companies who do get donated things or do supply PT stuff. I think you can just Google that online and probably find people that can link that up. I haven't had to do that because our supplies are pretty adequate at this point, but um, yeah, I think there are quite a few companies now that are getting into getting donated supplies and then circulating those too. GHO is a small supply, but yes? Great, great question. I didn't cover that very well. So when a patient comes in, they get registered, they go to triage, they go to wherever they're going. Before they can go to pharmacy, they have to go through counseling. So counseling is sitting across a desk from somebody in their own culture from the church who gives them a passionate plea to understand what it means to become a Christian. So we have, we might see 2,400 patients, and I think we had about 400 I hate this term, but first decisions for Christ, because I wonder how many made a tenth decision, but it's that initial decision to commit their life to the Lord, and then in addition to that, there's a bunch of others who recommitted. So we, we have those numbers, and we don't focus a lot on numbers, but you're getting an idea that maybe a third of them are somehow making a decision, and it's because they have that uh, church person across the desk from them, giving them information, sharing the gospel with them. So... It is a captured audience, and my wife says we're the flypaper that people come into the clinic really to hear the gospel. So, and we do what we can. Yep. Have you ever like thought about training like the pastors within the church to continue doing the physical therapy? Because once you guys are gone, if they need continued help, who's going to be there? Yeah, that that's a great question, uh, and I to be honest, I've not thought of that. I did uh, travel to uh, Cameroon. Um, to a small Baptist hospital in March as part of the Medical Education International. So if you are comfortable with teaching something within your profession, that's available. MEI is part of the CMDA uh, booths downstairs. Um, so I went with another therapist and a doctor and uh, actually t pretty much taught mechanical treatment for a week to their PT assistant level people that were working in, their, in the series of their seven hospitals. So... That's a great idea and a great question. The question is, you know, you'd have to come another week, really, to do that if you're going to teach pastors, and then the pastors need to have some other, some educational understanding of medicine or, you know, getting some disciples within that group that might understand that kind of treatment would be valuable. That's, that's a very good question. Yep. Um, can I just make a comment to that? I, I think that, um, so I worked in China for two years, and I felt that a really good sustainable way is to teach. There are people who are willing to learn, and you can teach, who are local, <coughs> teach general exercises too. I can teach other people, and it can, you know, that's a little bit more. And then giving like a talk about, you know, if you go in and then you do a talk about like Africa, you know, uh, prevention, you know, about lifting or bath mechanics, you know, if you can cover more Mm -hmm. you know? And that's a really big 
that's that's where are you going and who will you be working with big time. Yep. All right, thanks for your time. Uh, time for a plenary session, 1030.